This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Hey, good to see you. It's really nice to be here. A bit scary, so many young people. You don't see so many young people come to church in many parts of the world. So it's real joy. Um, this morning and today, you know, evening, they uh, gave me a certain time to speak. And then they said, do you need the cards? You know, the time cards do you need? I said, yes, we, I, I need it. You know, because in India, when you come to speak in a church, you always ask, how long should I speak? And immediately the pastor will say, as the Lord leads, brother. So, uh, so they, this morning also they had this, but I was in a, you know, we were in the sport ministry conference uh, in May and they had cards which were red, orange and green. So green means you're okay. Orange, you're in nearing your end and red means you've got to go out. So those are the colors of the traffic lights, traffic signals. But the problem for me was Traffic lights are good suggestions in India. <laughs> they are very good suggestions. You can keep it or you don't need to keep it. And, and we were driving down this morning. We were driving down. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. There's no traffic on the road here. I think seriously, you guys don't know what traffic is. So there's no traffic on the road. And there was a red light and we stopped. And so my wife said, can you imagine there's nobody on the road? And we have to wait at the traffic lights at red. There's just nobody. There's just nobody. It's a waste of time, she said. <laughs> uh, so we are happy. So delighted to be here with you. Uh, absolutely delighted to be here with you. Some of you probably have been to India, but India is a very interesting country. 30,000 languages and dialects. 3 million gods. 1.4 billion people. And 2.5% Christians out of the 1.4 billion people. Now, out of the 2.5 billion, 2.5% Christians, 1.5 is Catholics, and then out of the 1% remaining Protestants, probably 0.25 are believers. And you can imagine the amount of work that is expected in India. You can imagine what where we live and how what kind of situation. And to maintain your faith, when you drive into every corner of our cities, in every corner of our streets, there is a Hindu temple or a God standing right there. And you can imagine how difficult it is to maintain your faith, to be faithful to God and to faithful to the gospel. But it is exciting times and we'd appreciate that you pray for us. You really pray for us as we work in this. India is, you know... Uh, very difficult. Even we went to spar and we were standing in queue. Few people, but we are standing in queue. But let me tell you an interesting story of India. A serious, very true story of what India is. I was going to a training conference in Bombay. And so you land at the airport. And to go to the training center, it takes two hours if you, two hours if you take a taxi. One hour if you take the Mumbai train. Seriously, one hour if you take the Mumbai train. But it's packed. The train can take about 750, but there are about 5,000, 6,000 people already on the train. Now you have to get in. This is the challenge you have to get in. So as I was standing in there, we were waiting for the train to come. There's 500 people all around you and there's no space in India. They're always, you know, jostling and you're standing like this at the platform of the train. 
And so the guy with me was Kennedy. And I told him, Kennedy, are you serious? Because I had not, I don't go, I'm not from Mumbai, so I don't know Mumbai so well. And he said, serious, are you, Kennedy, can we make it? So I'm standing like this on the platform. The train's going to arrive in a, in a minute. The train stops for 20 seconds, less than 20 seconds. 200 people have to get out and 200 people have to get in into a small passage into that compartment. Now I'm waiting, this is impossible. So I'm standing there, all crowding around me, all crowding around me. And I'm telling Kennedy, where are you? Kennedy is somewhere there. So Kennedy says, brother, hold tight, brother. He said, okay, I'm holding tight. So the train arrives. And I'm telling, serious, Kenny, you can't make it seriously. Hold tight, brother, you'll be fine. There's a noise coming out. So the train arrives, and I'm standing this way, and 200 people get out of the train. Now 200 have to get in. It's almost time now. And then I, I was still here. The train's there. I'm not getting in. But suddenly there was a big noise. Oh! And I got pushed, and I was lifted up in the air. Seriously, I'm not joking. I was lifted up, and all I knew was I landed in the middle of the train. I'm not right there. <laughs> Boom, I landed there. And, then, and I'm standing this way. The train's going this way. I can't even move. I'm standing. 13 stations to go to my destination. First station, second station. I don't know where Kennedy is. So I'm saying, Kennedy, where are you? Hold tight, brother. That's all. Eight station, nine station, 13 station. Kennedy says, now next station, you need to get down. So I slowly turn this way, slowly turn this way, slowly turn this way. And now the station arrives. You've got to get out. 200 people have to get out now. Nobody's moving. And I'm wondering, how am I? Suddenly there's a noise. Oh, and I get lifted up. And next moment I land on the platform. You will not believe it. It's amazing. Even for me. Now, so Kennedy told me, come, come, brother, rush. We have to go to the, tra to the training. Kenny, I told him, can you give me two minutes? I went to a corner and I laughed at myself and then walked away. Serious India. That is India. And I come to Chalan Bosch. There's no people on the road. There's no traffic. John has this great joke. John Yip will come and tell me, Paul, start early. You have a lot of traffic in Stellenbosch. Said, John, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? The first time I came into Stellenbosch, from the airport to Stellenbosch, 27 cars. I counted. 2,700 cars minimum if you come from India. And I asked Kasi, is everybody on holiday? No, this is working day. Serious. God is good. The topic today that we are looking at is discipleship. And so pastor told me, talk about discipleship. We're going to look at the life of Paul and Timothy and you will make your own deductions. You will make your own. So we'll look at that story and then see what God has to say for us today. Some of you follow cricket. I, I'm a, I used to be a cricket player, played national championships, Ranji Trophy for many years and I played 25 years of professional cricket. There was this World Cup match that was going on not so long ago in May, World Cup was going on and two of the commentators, I think Ian Bishop and there was Vivian Richards, I can't remember which match this was, but they were talking somewhere on a commentary line. West Indies has a very good young team now, they're really good players, extremely talented. Hetmeyer and Puran and all really good players are there on the team. But here's what they talked. And here's Ian Bishop talking to one of the best cricketers the world has ever produced, Vivian Richards. And he said, Viv, I think it'll be great if somebody could walk, some older person could walk with these young people in life. And Vivian Richards, many of you know him, he's a great, the world's probably greatest batsman. 
He looked at them and said, yes, I wish somebody could walk with them in their life. And I think that's the story of even the Christian young person. We all wish somebody walked with us, isn't it? I was young, I was growing up, 25 years old, became a follower of Christ, and I want to really thank God because some people walked with me. There was a guy who walked with me, his name was John. I was working in this office, I was 25, and he would call me as soon as I became a Christian, he followed me, he tracked me, I didn't know him. But then he would come to me and said, Paul, what are you doing this afternoon? I'm in office. How much time do you have lunch? 45 minutes. Come to this church. Let's sit in the vestry and pray. I'm saying, John, it takes 20 minutes to get there. Takes another 20 minutes to get back. I have only five minutes left. That's fine. Do come. I'm driving. I take my scooter all the way, drive on that crowded traffic, go to that vestry, sit down for about 10 minutes and pray. And they said, John, say, okay, now go back to office. And he would call me often and said, Paul, get used to praying. Get used to praying. And I'm thankful to him. In those young days of my life, he, he was behind me. A disciple, he was not very older than me. But he was serious about my life. And I thank God for him. He walked with me. He would ask me tough questions. He would ask me, Paul, how are you doing in your sexual life? Are you good? How's your family life doing? Are you good? He would ask me those questions. And I had another man who walked with me and he asked me this beautiful question. He said, how are you doing on your Bible study? How are you doing on your reading of the Bible? I was very proud and I told him, you know what? I'm reading the daily bread. You remember daily bread? Some of you remember or no? It's a Bible, you know, it's small, it's short. You can read it in about three minutes. That's how young people read the Bible, you know. Three minutes, daily bread. So I was very proud and I told him, hey, I'm reading the daily bread. He looked at me and said, Paul, it's time to make your own bread. Good advice, isn't it? Good advice. Good advice. And I think that's what Paul is very concerned about when he talks to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. Paul is really concerned. He's got this young pastor. Timothy is the pastor at the church at Ephesus. He's a young guy. Paul tells him, take care of the church and he goes away. But he does not go away without mentoring him, without discipling him, without walking with him. And he walks with him. Paul's about to die. This is his last letter. And in his last letter, he throws out, he gives out all his passion for young Timothy. He's in jail. And he says, Timothy, I may die. But I want you to remember this. And he writes this letter, 2 Timothy to Timothy. All that he wants to say, he goes to say to Timothy. Listen carefully. I want you to be a pastor, a disciple maker, and take care of the church. He wants to make sure that he's passing on the baton. He wants to make sure that Timothy is the pastor that will carry on all the dreams that Paul had for the kingdom of God. And he wants to make sure that Timothy is a good man. So he wants to train him like a father Paul carries for Timothy. Paul cares for Timothy. Like a father he cares for him. Paul is forsaken by many, but Timothy is his most trusted man. Most trusted man. And so he writes this letter. Let me read for you a few verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day 
I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Hey, I love you so much. I love you. Can you believe Paul, the great apostle, writing to his, his, his disciple and he's saying, I, I cry, I long to see you, Timothy. I love you so much. This is a disciple maker who would look at Timothy and he say, I love you. I care for you. I pray for you. Two ways to look at it. One, if you have never been discipled, if you have never been discipled, think about it. You need somebody to disciple you. Or if you have never discipled somebody else who needs it, you must become a disciple maker. There is no option in the kingdom of God. Remember Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It was never an option. When Jesus stood on that last mountain and he looked at his disciples and said, Go into all the world and make disciples. So you and I sitting in this church, sitting here at evening service, have no option. Unfortunately, there is no option. All of us have to be disciples and have to be disciple makers. There is no option. The kingdom of God will grow as one person disciples another person and another person disciples another person. That's how the kingdom of God will grow. Some of us think that we don't need discipleship. Some of us think that we assume discipleship happens. No, it does not happen. I wish all through my life there was somebody who was walking with me. There were moments in my life there was nobody. There were moments in my life when nobody asked me tough questions. Nobody taught me anything. I had to reach out for myself. But I know now, I know now that if there is a one person, if there is a serious Christian somewhere, I will look out for him. I will watch him. I will call him. I will speak to him. And I will ask him, hey, how are you doing in your life? What help do you need? That's what Paul was. And as he looks at Timothy, Timothy, I cry for you. I cry for you. Then he goes on to say, Timothy, now he's the young man, very timid probably. Timothy was overwhelmed. Possibly he was spiritually dry. Possibly he was wondering, how is he going to do all this? So Paul writes to him, verse 6, chapter 1. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says, don't be ashamed of me. Timothy, never be ashamed of me. Here's Paul talking his heart to him. Have you heard somebody say this? The other day we were having dinner on one of these restaurants somewhere near in, in Stalinbosch. I don't know where it is. We were having dinner. And a guy came and about six of us were sitting down and a little, a young guy, 22 year old guy, and he tried to give us the wine list. And he gave us and he said, uh, this is this, this is this. And he went on for some time. And then, uh, uh, would you like to have something? And so I said, no, you know what? We don't, we, we don't want to, we don't want to, we're not used to it. And then we started speaking with him. And he said, Why, uh, what have you studied? And he said, I'm specializing in winemaking in a university. Great. 
So what is this? What are you doing in the restaurant? This is part of my internship. Somebody connected me and I'm part of this internship. And so he, then after some time he said, what are you guys doing? And he said, we are trying to do sport and mission. We're trying to teach people to, be, to love Jesus. And he said, oh, he said, sports people to live Christ-like? He said, yes. And then he started telling his story. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, I read the Bible. I'm really, I really want to be a Christian. And he also said, I'm, now I'm struggling. I became a follower of Christ. I started this winemaking. I'm thinking, should I be here? And he said, you know what? Maybe, I, maybe somebody will get drunk on the road because of me. And he went on to tell his story of that. Then finally he said this. Can we pray together? We asked him. And he said, yes. On the road, when everybody was watching, we held hands together. And we prayed right in that restaurant. And he was never ashamed of this. And he walked away. Be never ashamed of the gospel. Paul was telling Timothy. No matter what happens, never be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. And then he goes on to say to him, I'm suffering. Then he goes on in second chapter, verse 2. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach other people. This is what Timothy is saying. What you have heard from me, to entrust to reliable people so that they will pass on the message, they will disciple people, they will pass on the good news of the gospel. Verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering. And so Paul goes on talking to Timothy on these lines. The whole of the book is about Paul talking to Timothy. Now, why was Paul so concerned as he writes to a discipleship letter? Why was he so concerned? Number one, discipleship is the answer to long-term growth of the kingdom of God. Discipleship is the answer to the long-term growth of the kingdom of God. I'm glad pastor says this again and again. We are away from events. We want people to disciple one another. We want to have a long-term discipleship plan and a program within this church because we want serious Christians. We want serious Christians and discipleship produces serious questions. Christians. Two, discipleship was so critical, Paul invested headlong into many people. Have you asked the question, have you invested in somebody? You're a believer. I watched during the worship. Many of you passionately worshiping God. Many of you love him. Many of you cry in tears. Many of you lifted arms. Many of you love him so deeply. Have you discipled somebody? Have you thought about it? You must. Maybe you're saying I'm only 20 years. Maybe I'm only 18 years. Yes, it's time to disciple. It's not too young. It's not too young. There are many 14-year-old kids, many 15-year-old kids, many 16-year-old kids who want somebody to speak with them. There are many of them who are looking. Who will come and be with you? The parents are not going to be that person. They're not. Kids don't listen to parents. I know that. I have a 17-year-old girl, daughter, and she tells me, Dad, you are an embarrassment to me. How can I ever go and disciple her? It's you guys who have to do it. You guys who are 20 should talk to the 15-year-olds. You guys who are 22, talk to the 18-year-olds. They listen to you. And I think if discipleship was so critical, Paul invested headlong into Timothy. Because people will, now why should we disciple? Because people will increasingly became, become ashamed of the gospel. 
one and eight. That's what will happen as we go on. Now the world is getting more and more beautiful for everybody. I will be ashamed of the gospel. Keep quiet. Don't talk about Jesus. This is work. Man, this is a corporate world. Don't tell anybody you are a Christian. We will become ashamed of the gospel. That's why Paul was so concerned. For Paul was so concerned because the commitment level of people will slide down in the future. The commitment level. Why was Paul so interested in disciple making? Because he knew the commitment level of people. People who are committed extremely to the gospel will not be committed anymore. I was talking to one of the best recruitment companies in India. The top guys, they're Christian. And I asked him, Josh. Josh is the guy who leads. Josh, what do you think about today's situation? The guys who you recruit, how long do they stay in a company? He said, you know what, Paul? They stay as long as they can get an increase every two months or every three months. The moment some other company pays them a hundred rand more, they will go. There is no loyalty anymore. And it's the same way in the Christian faith. Young people, for young people, commitment, long-term, strong, deep commitment is a problem for young people. It's a problem. You don't want to make commitments because it's too demanding. Too demanding. Discipleship is too demanding, isn't it? Christian life is too demanding and so we don't want to make commitments. Why do we decide why Paul was interested? Because representing Christ well will never be a priority. Paul tells to Timothy, Timothy, represent Christ really well. When the Romans look at you, when the Pharisees look at you, when those who are not Christian look at you, they must look at you and say, this guy represents Christ really well. I want to follow Jesus because of the way Timothy lives. Represent Christ really well. There will come, times will come when you and I will not represent Christ really well. That's why Paul is interested. Because the very landscape and fabric of the world's religious worldviews will face massive changes. That's why people will not, people will need discipleship. It will change. The worldviews change. Today, everybody is going after yoga. Don't ever do yoga, seriously. Don't ever get into yoga, however fancy it may be. It's got deep Hindu roots. They try to package it very, very differently. The landscape and the fabric of the world's religious worldviews will change. That's why Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, stay hard on your doctrine, Timothy. Don't deviate. Stay hard. Stay hard on your doctrine. And then he says, because people will become lovers of the world, easily snared by its lustfulness. There will be a form of godliness, Timothy. And that's why I want you to be a good disciple. There will be a form of godliness. Oh, when you look at them, they will look absolutely brilliant. When you look at them, they look like the best classical Christians you can ever come across. But within them will be DK. Timothy, Timothy. Timothy, that's why I want you to be a very good pastor and a very good disciple maker because Christians will have a form of godliness. This is what was within the church in Ephesus. And Paul looks at it. If this happened 2000 years ago, right at the beginning of the early church, how much more in our church today? There is a form of godliness. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I'm just saying what is there in the Bible. It's a form of godliness. And I have to ask myself the question. And as I came, even before I came there, I said, God, am I really called to preach?
preach today. I ask the question, God, this is a massive thing. Have I got that passion to preach? Have I, am I really in my heart? Am I feeling this message or am I just delivering a talk? I ask myself the question, is this a form of godliness? And we have to ask the question, no matter how many times it is, we got to ask the question, do I have a form of godliness or am I deeply committed to Christ? It's worth asking that question. Because people will be unprepared to live, speak gospel when it matters most. When it matters most. Paul says to Timothy, be prepared to preach in season and out of season. He tells him, Timothy, there may be good days you will have. Your life will seem good. Preach the gospel. There will be times when your life is not so good. Preach the gospel. There will be times when you feel dry within you. Preach the gospel. There will be times when you feel really good in the spirit. Preach the gospel. There will be times when you are persecuted. Preach. There will be times when there is no persecution. Preach it. Be ready in season, out of season, Timothy. Because, last one, because people will move away from sound theology. Move away from sound theology, isn't it? Oh, lovely. Yeah, people will say, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. You will be rich. Remember, watch a television program. This lady said, when you trust God, it's like the 30, 60, 100%. Hundred principle and God will bless you a hundred times and so she said I want to go for the hundred times that God will bless me so we come to the lessons how are we doing on time ten minutes more right so what does it mean for us today what does it mean for us today so we listen to Paul we listen to Timothy as he's talking with him here's what it means for us today this is the most important part and if you stay with me for 10 minutes, we'll be good. The first one, we have to ask ourselves the question, is my faith genuine? If I have to be a fantastic disciple maker or a fantastic disciple, I have to ask myself the question, is my faith genuine? Is my faith genuine? So Paul's asking Timothy, Timothy, are you, is your faith genuine? And the same question will come to me. God asks us the question. Is your faith genuine? I remember a guy went to youth camp. When I saw this youth camp, he was so excited. I remember in our, in our church, we have these youth camps. We call it the Youth Fellowship Camp, Methodist Youth Fellowship, MYF. And they go to camps every summer. They go to camp. And they come back and they give the most amazing testimonies. Every one of the young person will come and say, God met me at this, at this camp. He touched me. My life became so brilliant. And I watched this guy, he was Jesu, was his name. He became a follower of Christ and he was a fantastic Christian. He gave a great testimony. Three years later, I was in a shopping complex into a corner. I had never intended to go into that corner. But I want to buy some coffee and I go into this corner. And I saw a guy who's not shaven, he's got long hair and he's got dirty clothes. And I look at him closely. Jesu, what are you doing here, Jesu? And he was kind of frightened and he stood there and he said, Paul, it's me, Jesu. Jesu, what happened to you? Paul, I lost it. I've completely lost it. I'm no more a Christian. I'm a massive drug addict. I was in a drug rehab home. I'm out of the drug rehab. I escaped from the drug rehab home. I can't help myself. I'm out. And the question today will come is, is my faith genuine? Disciple maker? Disciple, 
is your faith genuine? That when the storms of life come to you, when you're a young person, when the challenges of life come to you, is your faith genuine? That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Timothy, make sure that whenever somebody approaches you and looks at you, they must say, here is a guy in whom there is genuine faith that I saw in your mother and I saw in your grandmother. Your genuine faith carries you through, Timothy. Now I think we must ask the question, is my faith genuine? I go into the universities, Stellenbosch, whatever university you are, ask yourself every morning the question, is my, gen is my faith genuine this morning? Number two, does my faith display only a form of godliness? We have to ask the question. Does my faith display a form of godliness? We are beautiful, isn't it? We are, we are fantastic in faking. We are fantastic in wearing masks. Really good. There's the story. Now this is story time. So three or four stories and we'll be fine. <laughs> So you probably heard this story, but this was good. A man was looking for a job in New York. He never got a job. So he looks at the papers. For a long time, he's been looking at the, uh, the, the newspapers for work. Couldn't find one. Finally, he found one. It said, job in the zoo, New York Zoo. So he applied for the New York Zoo, and he goes for the interview. He thought he'll be feeding the animals. So he asked the guy who was interviewing, what should I do? said, no, should I feed the animals? Should I clean the cages? What should I do? He said, no, last week our chimpanzee died. And we have chimpanzee clothes for you. You have to act like a chimpanzee. So he thought for a moment and he said, well, anyway, I don't have a job. So let me try it. The next morning they gave him chimpanzee clothes. He wore the chimpanzee clothes and he acted like a chimpanzee. did pretty good. So end of the day, the zookeeper called him and said, you're doing well. But tomorrow there is an excursion. 500 kids are coming. They love my chimpanzee to eat bananas and to swing on the trees. He said, okay, I'll try it. He ate the banana. They threw bananas. He ate the bananas and then he started swinging. And as he was swinging and all the kids clapping, he swung so hard that when he came to this corner, his hand slipped and he fell into the next cage. The next cage was the lion's cage. Now the lion thought it was feeding time. And so the lion comes roaring at him. It comes almost close to him here. And there's a big oh, noise at him. And then he forgets that he's, he's a chimpanzee. I mean, I mean he, wants, he, he forgets everything. And he says, help! He shouts. The lion stops here. And whispers to here, don't shout or we both will lose our jobs. <laughs> you see? Many times, many times, many times, many times in the Christian faith, we are like this. And God wants us to ask this question seriously. Timothy, do you have a form of godliness? Or are you a really good Christian, Timothy? Paul asked him serious questions. I hope somebody would look into your life. I hope somebody will ask into your life. Are you a good Christian? Are you a serious Christian? Christian? Do you wear masks? Or I hope you will ask somebody, a young cousin of yours, a young friend of yours, you'll ask the question, who loves Jesus, would you ask, is it a form of godliness? Do you love him? Do you read the Bible? I had a young friend of mine, a friend of, not young, friend of mine, about 15 years ago, I, I spoke with him. And he was in his 40s at that time. 
is a convert from a Hindu faith. His name is Rajkumar. And he was preaching. And he could tell Bible verses without even looking at the Bible. And he was saying that. And I went to him and asked him, Raj, great stuff. Thanks for the word. He was only 14. And I asked him, you memorize Bible verses so brilliantly. You tell them even without reference. How do you do it? How many times have you read the Bible? He was 40. At that time, about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, he said, I've read the Bible 1,300 times at 40. He probably has read it 5,000 times now. And you ask many young people today, how many times you read the Bible? Once. Twice. A form of godliness, isn't it? Many of us don't even know the books of the Bible. Many of us don't even know what is Old Testament, New Testament. But we love worship. We love to come when everybody is there. But read the Bible. Make your own bread, my friend. Good time to do it now. Good time. The Bible is so powerful. Let me give you this so that it will help you. All this fancy... I'm being very Indian now, so don't take offense. A lot of people, did you pray today? Ask a young person. Yes, while I was going on the bus, I was praying. Did you pray today? Yeah, driving, I was praying. Forget it. Go on your knees. Lock your room and pray. Cry out to God. It is old-fashioned, but it's good stuff. It is old-fashioned. Bend your knees. My father-in-law was not a very educated man. Gracious man. Very simple man. Very, he didn't study. I don't know, Grace will differ, but he didn't study much. He didn't study much. But one thing when we got married, arranged marriage, I looked at him and Grace would say, you know what, one thing my dad did, he prayed really hard. That's all he knew. That's why he got a good husband now. No, but you see, <laughs> he prayed, he prayed really hard. And he, she would tell me, look at his knees. And I looked at his knees one day. He had corn on his knees. Now what is corn? If you use a part of the body, part of your finger or your teeth, if you use it for bowling, if you spin the ball, if you keep spinning, here you will have a kind of flesh that will grow like this. It's a corn. It's called corn. Extra because of the wear and tear. And this man had been on his knees for hours and hours and days and days and days on his knees praying. He had corn on his knees. Just be old-fashioned when it comes to prayer. God is good, seriously. He will be good to you. Third one. Am I ashamed of the gospel? I have to ask me if I'm a good disciple maker or I want to make disciples, I must ask people, are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed? I used to be very ashamed when I was playing cricket and all my friends used to be all doing all kinds of things, you know, in the cricket world, everything. And I used to be ashamed sometimes to tell that I'm a Christian. Good man. Never shared my faith for a long time. Couldn't share. Ashamed of the gospel. And here's the story. I was, I was, I was training at a place, I think it was in Qatar, in the Middle East, Qatar. And after the training, a young girl came up to me. She's a very nice looking girl. And she came, she's probably 22, 23. She came up to me and said, Paul, would you like to hear my story? I said, yes, for sure. I'm an Arabic girl. I'm in Qatar. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And she said, you know what? And I asked, how did you become a Christian? She said, my name is Graciana. 
I went to a beauty parlor. And in the beauty parlor, I tried to do the makeup. I tried to do stuff for me. And there was this young girl. And this young girl, she's from India. And while she was doing the makeup, she whispered about Jesus into my ears. And she said to me, you know what? This girl could have died if I complained to the police that she was talking about Jesus. But she could not care. She could not care and whispered into my ears and talked about the goodness of Christ to me. And I became a follower of Christ. And I asked her, what's her name? Sally. No, Sally cannot be Indian. What's her name? I said, salvation is her name. She's Indian. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Sally spoke into the ears of Graciana, a Muslim girl in the Middle East, and she becomes a follower of Christ. You want to be a disciple maker? Never be ashamed of the gospel. Do I represent Christ really well? Nice, isn't it? We had the testimonies of Faf Duplessis, J.P. Dumini, David Miller, your cricketers, on a booklet in the World Cup. Good guys. I know the people who disciple him, disciple them. They are on a Bible study group with one of our friends. Really good. And if you look at people like Faf Duplessis and say, good man, very good man. I don't know if you know a name by, uh, man by the name of Trevor Goddard was South Africa's captain of the best cricket team the world has ever seen. Trevor Goddard was the captain, all-rounder. And on his team were Peter Pollock, Graham Pollock, Eddie Barlow, Mike Proctor, um, and you can call in Bland, you can go on. They were brilliant guys. Great team. And he was, the, he was the captain. I met him once at the International Sports Leadership School. I met him there. He was a Christian. He loved God. He was in his 70s when I met him. So the first day I get into the International Sports Leadership School and I, he met me. So I said, hey, Paul, good to meet you. I said, your name, sir? He said, Trevor Goddard. And I'm saying, man, South Africa, Trevor Goddard. Can it be this cricketer? And I'm saying, no, there must be many Trevor Goddards in South Africa. <laughs> Surely there are many Trevor Goddards in South Africa. So I keep going. And after some time, I'm curious. And I asked him the question, okay, have you played any cricket? <laughs> and he said, and he was very humble man. And he said, yeah, some, he said, I'm still, I'm still very curious. Are you the Trevor Goddard that captain saw that? He said, yes, sheepishly. And my face fell the longest distance from here to down. <laughs> and I'll tell you what he did. His job in the International Sports Leadership School in a small little campsite was to take the dirty clothes of all the 30 students and wash them, take them to the laundry, wash them and bring it back. I've never been impacted in my life by anybody like that. A man who captained South Africa, the best cricket team ever in the world. And he washed clothes. Do I represent Christ really well? Last one. Am I willing to leave a godly legacy? Disciple maker. When you make disciples, you leave a godly legacy. I was in Maldives. Maldives is a Muslim country. It's a Muslim, small, tiny little island of India. But it's one of the best tourist spots in the world. I went there and there was just the church. I went to speak. There are four congregations. 
The biggest congregation is 80 people. Then there is 10, 5, and 6, four congregations. That was at this church that had 80, 80 people. And I'm talking to this guy. And 80 people, small 10 by 10 room, there were people sitting on their laps and listening to the gospel. And this was a scary one. So suddenly during the, during the service was going on, somebody knocked at the door and they pulled down all the Bible verses and sat down as though it was a normal conversation. Stop all the music and sat down. And then they found out it was a friend. And then they put back the Bible verses again. And they started praising, worshipping God. And I asked the, pro, the pastor, Prabhakar, why do you do this? And he said, I've been in this country for 12 years. This is the 12th anniversary. I want to do this because I want to leave a godly legacy in Maldives. I could get killed. But I want to leave a godly legacy here. Disciple, disciple maker. Do you think tonight of leaving a godly legacy of your life? Or would you like to say, born, lived, studied, married, children, house, car, grandchildren, died. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's how we live, isn't it? I decided long ago I'm not going to live like that. Even if it costs my life, I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to be a disciple maker who will make disciples. Two stories and we'll end. The first one, a man and his wife were at the zoo. They stopped showing the cards. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a nice man. A man and his wife work at the circus. Now listen, last five minutes and then we finish. Seriously, Indian five minutes, not Indian five minutes. This is South African, South African five minutes. A man and his wife work in the, zoo, in the circus. And as they work in the circus, this is their act. In the middle of the circus, this is the last part. Everybody looks forward to this. The woman will be tied in a board and she will be rotated. She'll be tied like this. And the man will be blindfolded and he will be taken to the end of the room, maybe 20 feet away. And he has 20 knives with him. And the board will rotate. And as the board rotates, the man has to throw the knives blindfolded. And they will change his direction. He has to blindfold and throw the knives. And for 20 years, they've thrown the knife. Every time the knife has missed the wife. For 20 years, even with the rotating board, the knives have missed because he practiced so hard. For 20 years, the knife have missed, knives missed the wife. Then one day, they have a problem at home. They have a big fight. And the man says, tonight I will kill you. Nobody will know that I killed you on purpose. They will think it's an accident. And the wife laughed at him and said, maybe you can't. Let's see tonight. Good fight between the husband and wife. And then they go to the circus. And as they go to the circus, the time comes and she's tied and she's rotated. They take the man and they blindfold him. For the first time in his life, he never even bothered to take aim. He was full of anger and he throws every one of the knives with all his anger. Kill her, kill her, kill her. 20 knives. No noise. The man is surprised. I mean, he's shocked. So they open his blindfold and they turn him towards the wife. And to his amazement, the knives have gone exactly where they went for 20 years. Completely missed his wife. The wife gets down and he says, my dear husband, even if you want to kill me, you can't because you trained so hard. That's how we are as Christians. Even if you want to do discipleship, you may never do it. That's how hard we've trained ourselves. Tonight is the time to change it. Tonight is the time to change. The Bible says there's a verse in the Bible. They that trust in the Lord shall renew their strength like the eagles.
Remember that? They that trust in the Lord shall renew their strength like the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And for no reason, I mean, that's not for any unknown reason they said that they that renew their strength like the eagles tonight is an opportunity for you to renew yourself this renewal of the eagle happens in the mountains and a missionary wanted to see it so he looked took the local guy and he said let's go and see it 20 eagles go up and they're huddled like this in the middle of the lives about 15 years they live 30 years about 15 years they have to renew their their feathers their life they have to renew and so they're sitting down all these 20 eagles are sitting down together for one month they sit together and then the feathers fall down the nails fall off the beaks falling off everything and they're about to die but on the about one month later there is a group of eagles that fly in the air now they start pouring start putting chunks of meat right in the middle of these eagles they put it down and they put it down every day. Fifteen of the eagles don't want to eat it. They walk away like this, like this, like this. They walk away and die. But five of the eagles pick up the meat, eat it every day until their feathers are growing. The nails are growing and the beaks growing. And at the end of one month, the eagles are ready. Now they renewed themselves. They can fly high, more higher than ever they've flown before in their lives. Because they've renewed themselves. Tonight is a good chance to ask the Lord, Lord, renew me. Lord, renew me today. All the old stuff, I want to leave it. I want to be a brilliant disciple maker for the sake of the kingdom of God. I want to do it. Zacchaeus runs up to Jesus one day. Tax collector he wants. All this will make sense, no sense if you don't know Jesus as your savior. If you have never known Christ as your savior, nothing will make sense to you. Discipleship will be foolish. If you don't know Jesus as your savior. So here Zacchaeus running around. And he sits on the tree. And he wants to watch Jesus. Why? Because I'm unhappy with what I'm doing. I got a lot of money. I got place. I got position. I got everything. But my life's not good. Yesterday a cricketer who played for India. Committed suicide in his house. Hung himself. Yesterday. And Zacchaeus would tell Jesus. Jesus comes to him and says. Zacchaeus come down. I want to speak with you. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Tonight is a great opportunity. If you have never given your life to Christ. Tonight is a great opportunity. There may be just one person. But I want to give you this opportunity. If you have never made a decision to follow Christ. It's the best decision you can ever make in your life. It's the greatest decision you can make in your life. Because God is good all the time. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.